Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. True crime lovers are always looking for new and engaging content. The Already Gone podcast covers stories from Michigan and the Great Lakes region. Cases you haven't heard before, like the Mayo Hunters or the murder of 16-year-old Justin Mello, plus better-known cases like the death of Jane Bashara and Illinois' own Lori Dan. Already Gone started in 2016, so there is a big back catalog for you to enjoy. Find Already Gone on Apple Podcasts, Good Pods, or your favorite podcatcher. Hello, and welcome to episode number 28 of the Forward Press Podcast, the first of 2020. Happy New Year! This week, my guest is Adam Woodard of Golf Week and USA Today Sports. You can follow Adam on Twitter at, at Adam Woodard. In the podcast you're about to hear, Adam and I talk about Justin Thomas's win at the Century Tournament of Champions. We also talk about Patrick Reed's performance at Kapalua. Now he played brilliantly on Sunday, but is now perceived as golf's villain. We also hand out our birdies of the week and our penalty shots of the week, and much, much more. Get stronger, hit longer, and end pain with Golf Forever. Created by Justin Leonard and co-author of the Younger Next Year Back Book, Dr. Jeremy James, Golf Forever is the take-anywhere online golf fitness program that helps you build a body prime for golf. It's simple, safe, and it works. At home, in the gym, on the golf course, Golf Forever's easy-to-follow exercises, warm-up routines, and course management videos will help you play your best pain-free. Sign up today at GolfForever.com and use promo code GOLFWEEK for a free 14-day trial. So the buttons are pushed, the recorder is going, and now I want to welcome Adam Woodard to the Four Press Podcast. Welcome, Adam. How you doing? Happy holidays. Happy New Year. Uh, happy New Year to you, too. It's good to be here, and uh, pretty, a pretty fun tournament to start off 2020 on the PGA Tour. It is. It was, it's, it, was a, it was a really good event. Um, I want to send you my sincerest condolences, though. I, I feel like I need to... to you know, let you know that I, I feel your pain. Is it true that you spent most of the holiday season in Ohio? Is that is that I, accurate? I, that is extremely accurate. I was spending in the, the great state of Ohio, Northeast Ohio, the Akron, Cleveland area. There was some family had a New Year's Eve wedding to be at. So unfortunately, not too much holiday golf was played. Um, when I th- now I'm back here. Now yeah. I'm back here in D.C. ready to go. When I think of Ohio at this time of year, I think of uh, cold. I think of wet. Yep. I think of yep. several shades of steel gray floating through the sky. If it's Akron, yep. Cleveland, um, well, the lake's not burning anymore, so that's good. And Cleveland's well, it actually— it was never the lake that was burning. It was the Cuyahoga River. It was the river. Was uh, yeah, you know, and, and really, like a kid from <laughs> Syracuse should be giving any grief to anybody when it comes to, to weather. But that was always, I felt, the one area— that could genuinely feel the pain that we had in Syracuse. I had family that was around Illyria, um, mm-hmm. which you would yep, know yep. being served from that area. And I'm like, number one, they need a better name because who wants to be in Illyria, Ohio? Um, and yeah. number two, there was nothing to do out there except for either A, go to Canton, Ohio to the Football Hall of Fame, which was fun, or mm-hmm. go to Cedar Point. 
and ride roller coasters. And well, let's not forget about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in downtown. Well, at, the, at that point, see, this was the 70s and early 80s, and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame hadn't been there. And trying to, to drag okay. uh, my father or my mother, whose idea of good music is like Joan Baez or whatever, it just was not <laughs> – they couldn't care less about Jimi Hendrix guitars or you know Led Zeppelin stuff. That, that was not going to do it for them. Um, yeah. Any New Year's resolutions for you this year? Well, how, how are you going to be a better person, Adam, in 2020? I'm going to play better golf. I'm going to play more golf, and I'm actually going to practice. I'm not I'm not just going to go out and just think if I play a couple times a week, I'm going to be able to figure it out. And I'm going to spend more time at the range, spend more time on the greens. Uh, I, w- With my golf game, it's it's very streaky. I can, I'm flirting with either breaking breaking 80 or shooting 95. It's, it's all over the place. So I really just want to be a, a more consistent player so I'm not as frustrated. So the New Year's resolution, definitely very golf-related. I just, I just want to be more consistent, but that's obviously a lot easier said than done. You're talking to the wrong person when it comes to consistency, and I admire <laughs> the use of the P word, practice, in, yeah. in an early year podcast as well. <laughs> um, I should do the same thing. I, I had a big practice year last year. I'm, I'm one of those guys who I genuinely enjoy practicing. I love gear, obviously, um, writing for GolfWeek.com yeah. with all the equipment stuff. I like some of the training aids, some of the homemade ones. Having talked to you guys on the tour, I went out last year, and I got a, uh, a chalk line, which – was so cool to, to sort of pull the string and snap some purple chalk down and then use the chalk line. I started actually putting better using that. Um, I love that, but I also have two kids, and uh, I have to chase them around. So you being a <laughs> single guy with uh, without children at this point, you have no – I'm going to live vicariously my golf life through you. So, yes, go practice. Go play a lot. Um, you're based in the D.C. area. What What are some of the places where you often go when the weather is not terrible? There's the, you know, the local DC courses are, you know, they do a pretty good job of keeping those in shape. The ones that are downtown mm-hmm. um, courses over at East Potomac, you can see the, the views of the monuments, which is cool. It's relatively cheap and affordable. There's always places to go. Uh, in my time here, I've been with Golf Week for almost a year now. I've made a couple of contacts in the industry. So I happen to know someone from the USGA who's gotten me out to congressional, which there is fun. Go. So hopefully more, more trips there in 2020, but mainly just a lot of the a lot of the local public tracks that you know the people play. I would, David. I would say I'm a man of the people when it comes to golf and uh, and playing around here. I don't do, I don't play all the nice courses because frankly my game's not there yet, and I don't want to embarrass myself. But I usually stick to all the uh, all the local places. There's actually a place called Renditions. It's about 45 minutes to an hour out outside the city, and every hole is based off of you know a famous hole. So they have Amen Corner recreated. They've got holes from Oakmont. Um, you that know, a bunch cool. of link style courses out there. It's really cool. It is very challenging. The link style courses are very challenging, but like for Oakmont, they have the church pew bunkers, which is so Sweet. cool. So a lot of these courses I've never gotten to play. I can say, you know, I played Amen Corner one under this summer and people don't understand that it wasn't the real Amen Corner, but it's still a pretty good story to tell. That's pretty sweet. So uh, yeah. let's jump into it. First PGA Tour event of 2020. We just finished the Century Tournament of Champions. Justin Thomas beats Patrick Reed, Xander Shoffley. Uh, Shoffley ended up getting out of the playoff after the very first hole. Patrick Reed and Justin Thomas continue to battle it out. Eventually, Thomas outlasts him. That's the 12th win, 12th PGA Tour win for um, Justin Thomas. The second time he's won the Century Tournament of Champions. He won it in 2017 as well. Pretty interesting number going through here. The guy's now won $33.7 million, and he's 26 years old. It's good to be Justin Thomas. Um, He's officially... Uh, now has also two PGA Tour wins this season. He also won the CGA Cup, or excuse me, the CJ Cup at Nine Bridges, and he was tied for fourth earlier this season at the Safeway. Um, mm-hmm. 
If you look at the official World Golf Rankings now, JT stays at number four behind Kepka, Rory, and John Rahm. Xander Shoffley goes from 9 to 8, and Patrick Reed goes from 12 to 11. Give me your impressions overall of the tournament itself, and what did you think of Justin Thomas's performance on Sunday? You said it, 12 victories at the age of 26. I am a newly minted 27-year-old and have zero PGA Tour victories and zero million dollars won. So, yeah, it is very good to be Justin Thomas right now. Slacker. Yeah, right. I think I got a pretty good thing going here, though. Um, Impressions of the tournament, I thought it was great. I loved seeing the 34-man field. I think it's really cool when you have, obviously, there weren't some of the bigger names there. I think we'll touch on that. Mm -hmm. But you still had a pretty strong field for the guys that were there. And to see guys like Xander, JT, and Patrick Reed, all in the mix, obviously having a three-way playoff there at the end. It was an awesome start to the 2020 season, especially, or the 20 year 2020, especially given the fact that for a good stretch there, it looked like JT was just going to run away with this thing. He had gone up three shots on on Shawfully, two mm-hmm. at Patrick Reed at the time, who moved you know one shot closer to him. It looked like JT was just going to run away with this. And it wasn't even like Xander played that poorly down the stretch either. He just made pars, and JT went on that birdie stretch right around the turn to the, the early part of the back nine. But it was really fun, really competitive. I would have liked to have seen the playoff end about a hole earlier. It looked like just guys were just making bad putts and bad efforts. That could have been the darkness. It could have been a whole bunch of things. Maybe the the speed of the greens they still weren't yep. used to, considering they were expecting things to roll probably a little bit faster. The weather and the wind had different things to say about that. But my one big takeaway, every time I miss a putt now, I'm just going to blame it on being gusted because that's the perfect <laughs> excuse to say, hey, I just missed it a little bit. I got gusted on a little bit there. But all in all, uh, a heck of a start to 2020. It was good. You know, I, I agree. It, it certainly felt like JT had that one kind of in the bag as they were rolling through the meat of the, the back nine. And I agree. Shoffley, I think, drove the ball beautifully. He was mm-hmm. really in control of the golf ball off the tee. He finished first, actually, in strokes gained off the tee for the week. Um, so he was dialed in there, but it looked like Justin Thomas had just sort of found another gear. And I was really surprised that coming down the stretch, he spit the bit a little bit. I mean, there were just some bad shots, and and I think there were a couple of putts, um, certainly the one on 17, where I'm like, okay, he was able to to muster up enough guts to to make that one. That's good. 18 should be you know, something that he can handle. It's playing a lot longer. It was playing as a true three-shot par five, which is kind of fun. Uh, mm-hmm. But... Obviously, you know, he he didn't execute, and I was really, really surprised. In your opinion, which helps a player more, running away with the tournament and, you know, proving that basically, you know, with a four, five, six-shot win that you were clearly the man that week and, and the kind of confidence that can give you, is that better or is it better to sort of gut out a win and figure out a way to get get a W, hoist up the hardware without bringing your best stuff, to figure out a way to win? In the long run, which, which way of winning – do you think serves a player best? I think it really depends on the player. For a guy like Justin Thomas, who, like we've said, has done this before, you know, he's he's won both ways. He's grinded out tournaments before. He's had to come from behind win, and he's run away with tournaments before. So for this one, I think it really didn't matter which way JT was going to win. You even heard him say it. You know, I, it was in the bag for me this week. He knew he was going to win. He knew he was supposed to win this tournament. He obviously goes out and shows it. For a guy like Xander, you know, I think for him having to grind that out. He feels like he left one on the table there. So I think for him, it would have been more important for him to sort of run away with it and claim, hey, I'm one of the best players on tour. And he really is. When when you look at his game as, you know, as a whole, he drives the ball incredibly well. He very rarely makes big mistakes. Sometimes it's just the putts just don't drop. Mm -hmm. And instead, like he did yesterday on Sunday, he made pars instead of birdies. That's going to happen to every player. So I think it would have been more important for Xander 
to be the one to run away with this one. But for a guy like Justin Thomas, I mean, everybody knows how great he is. He's probably going to be a number one player in the world sooner rather than later with, you know, the way he's been playing. If he can keep this sort of consistency, I think that's three wins in his last seven starts, maybe. Yeah, it's he's, been he's, just... he's won a lot. There's no question. He's, he's, he's exactly. seems to be dialing it in. I agree. Um, I'll be curious to see what kind of a year we get out from Justin Thomas, because for whatever reason, there are other players that seem certainly dominate the headlines more. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Tiger eclipses pretty much everything. Everybody. But yeah. but then when you take a look at it, once we get Brooks Kepka to come back from this knee injury, and he w- went up on social media and was showing some workouts and seems to be a lot closer than you know we, we may be. It's, it's His return to professional golf is coming. That's clear. Um, Rory McIlroy, when he is healthy and full flight and has a lot of confidence like we saw throughout 2019, he's a monster, an absolute mm-hmm. monster. And I think that John Rahm has the potential now, number three in the world, he's not really going out on a limb, to to be at that level. Do you think that Justin Thomas has that level in him, or do you see him, for whatever reason, being like a half a click below that? What do you think is the ceiling for Justin Thomas? And I realize he, this is now a former world number one player, but for whatever reason, I don't always hear people mention him when they're talking about guys winning major championships like they do Rory and Kepka and for example Dustin Johnson it, he's not included in there do you do you consider his potential or his ceiling to be in that group I definitely do and I think he's shown it before in strides we got to remember he's still only you know 26 years old he yep. still has a lot of room to grow a lot of the guys we're talking about are older they have more experience and I think it's the whole you know what have you done for me lately you know JT's only major win was what the 2017 PGA. Correct. And his other his other best major starts. He's only he's only finished in the top ten of one other major, and that was a T nine in 2017, the same year at the U.S. Open, actually. So it's it's I think it's the what have you done for me lately? We've seen Tiger. It's, it still can't believe I'm saying that we've seen Tiger win a major more recently than that. <laughs> we've seen Brooks just dominate the majors. Rory obviously has won so many different times. I think it's going to take experience. You're gonna. You're going to need to see JT grow a little bit. He's obviously pretty mature for a 26-year-old. He's done almost everything that you could want to do as a professional golfer, and he's done more than most professional golfers, especially at his young age. So do I see him in that? Obviously. I think he's definitely in that same echelon. But as of right now, looking at the way Rory's played, even looking at the way Tiger's played, when the course is, is, when the, course is the most difficult, Tiger, I think, is still the best player in the world when, when everybody's at their best. Rory's right there. Obviously, Brooks, if he can come back and be healthy, I think that's something that's going to be interesting is Brooks's health going forward. But JT is definitely in that in that realm. It's just going to be a matter of consistency and staying there. And he needs to win another major to really put himself at the peak there again. Yeah, I think that the majors also could set up pretty well for him this season. Obviously, Augusta National, he's starting to get some experience. He's played a few Masters now. He knows what that's going to be like. He's played deep on the weekend at, mm-hmm. at Masters. The PGA Championship moving to May, we're going to be at Harding Park in San Francisco, California. The course, I think, sets up really well for him, candidly. I've been to Harding Park now a few times um, Mm -hmm. for different events. That one will be good. The U.S. Open at Winged Foot is going to be an absolute animal. It's it's going to be so hard. Um, We're in this really good track of traditional U.S. Open venues, obviously, last year coming out of Pebble Beach. We had what, what is my, I think, the best U.S. Open track is Pebble, and I would mm-hmm. put right behind it uh, in a, a small group. Um, I think Oakmont is also absolutely stunning, fantastic, is great. Wingfoot, uh, it, the West Course there is as hard a golf course under U.S. Open conditions as 
should be allowed. It, it is such a brute. And I think that Justin Thomas's combination of overall game, he putts better than I think people realize. He has a very good short game. He was able to demonstrate that on the third, basically the final hole of the playoff against Reed. That was a fantastic 100-yard sort of flip wedge that he was able to, to knock in there to what looked like about four feet or so. Yeah, The power game is clearly there. I think that there have been, there's been talk for years now that pound for pound, he's probably the biggest hitter that's out there. Um, when you stand next to him, he's, he's a diminutive guy. He's not somebody that strikes you physically as, as being somebody who's going to bash the ball around the way he does. Kepka gives you that impression. Dustin Johnson gives you that impression. So does Gary Woodland. Rory over the years has gotten so much bigger and much more muscular. You can see it. You can almost see the speed as he just walks athletically by you. Justin Thomas is a different breed, and he's able, though, to, to get the performance that he gets. I think all those venues get up, you know, set up really well for him. The British is the wild card. I mean, at this point, yeah. you have no idea what to think of Royal St. George. Um, I'm not sure that he was in the field the last time we were there when Darren Clark won, um, but I think that he'll be great. It's going to be a big year for him. I mean, I think that he's probably going to be on the Olympic team, which which will be great. Who knows? He'll, I, he's certainly going to be on the Ryder Cup team unless he's injured. There's no way that he's not there. So he's yeah. going to have an, a lot of opportunities to jump into the spotlight and to do some great things. Another guy who's who's in the spotlight quite a bit these days, not always for the best reasons, Patrick Reed. Um, yeah. He played brilliantly on Sunday. His putting really was did. out of control good. The wedges, the short game, the chipping, and the pitching were amazing. And yet still the thing that I'm going to remember from this is some idiot yelling cheater as yep. he's hitting the last putt, which basically ran right by and, and cost him an, an opportunity there. What what was your impression when you heard that? You're watching that on TV like I am, and you hear somebody yell cheater as soon as the ball comes off the blade. What went through your mind? Well, obviously, the first thing I'm thinking is, okay, how can I write 150 to 200 words on this <laughs> fast enough to get it up? Because that's just content in its purest form. People love to read and hate on Patrick Reed. Yeah. For instance, I, I all I did was quote tweet the video last night and say, you know, fan yells cheater at Patrick Reed during the playoff at the Century Tournament Champions. I'm still getting blown up some 12 hours later from people saying, like, oh, why are you crying about it? Why are you complaining? He obviously cheated, blah, blah. I'm getting flack for something Patrick Reed did, and all I did was share the video. How dare so you? It's, <laughs> yeah, right? How dare I? Yeah. But it's – I understand that you know guys are going to want to get their get their heckles in. They're going to want to get their yells in. They want their you know 15 seconds of fame to yell at them. What's, what's really concerning is the fact that that happened, of all places, at the Century Tournament of Champions in Maui. Like we're a month removed from this and it's still obviously a big deal. It's still a thing that's going to be talked about. He's going to get heckled. God only knows what guys are saying to Kessler as he's walking along the rope line, you know, trying to get him to bait him to Mm -hmm. go after a fan again. But if this is happening in Maui, like how bad is this going to be at the U S open in New York? You know, this, this isn't going to blow over. It's not going anywhere. And I think that's going to be really concerning for Patrick and Kessler going forward. Like most things blow over. Uh, Matt Kuchar and his caddy last year. Yeah, that story blew over eventually, but it still got a good six month run. And it's not like Kuchar even did anything against the rules of golf or against the integrity of the game. Or Patrick Reed, you know, whether you think he he cheated or whether it was the camera angle, either way, it was a rules violation that was addressed. He's got a history. This isn't going anywhere, and it's going to stick with him for years and years and years. And I think it's going to be a really bad look for the game with guys just yelling like this and trying to get their 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 quick cheap shots in them. Yeah, what's interesting is I think it's it's usually not 
the yahoos and the people who are what you know a lot of people will go to events and hear these things yelled out I'll tell you what, I've been to a lot of golf tournaments. Most of the yelling and the idiocy is coming from the corporate chalets where the booze is free and is flowing at sort of like 9 or 9.30 in the morning. Mm -hmm. And long about 2.30 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon, the folks in the corporate tents and the hospitality suites are the ones yelling out more than the people on the rope line who are paying for their yeah. you know couple, two or three beers. Um, I'll come off of my soapbox on that one now <laughs> and basically just say that I think you're right. I think you bring up an excellent point that it – this incident happened at Kapalua, where there are numerically not a lot of fans. It's a yeah. big, hilly golf course. There are people that are hanging around a couple of greens and obviously around 18. I get that. But it's not a big fan venue just because you're out in the middle of Hawaii and it's the holidays and they just don't get big crowds out there. I'm not criticizing it in the least. If the next time he goes out to a venue, like imagine if Patrick Reed plays at Phoenix where you've got 100,000 people around one hole all boozing all day. And he comes through there in some group in the late afternoon on Saturday or Sunday. You don't think that mm -hmm. people are going to yell at him there? I mean, they're going to have songs ready for him. And, and I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying that right now that's going to be the reality for Patrick Reed and for his caddy is yeah. this is something that I think has got a little bit more legs than maybe I was giving it credit for in my own mind. People are still doing this. I don't know how long it lasts. Do you have any feel? I mean, you're, you're sort of saying a couple of years, but to me, it's it's still fresh. Do you still think that they get the criticism along the rope lines? Do you still think that people are going to yell out? And does this incident almost embolden people to imitate it and to yell things, yell things out to him in the coming weeks and months? If it was anybody else but Patrick Reed, I would say that it would blow over faster than this. But like, mm -hmm. even if it happened to a guy like like DJ or somebody or another another big name if they were to unknowingly do something or knowingly cheat eventually it's going to blow over but because Patrick Reed is already such a you know polarizing figure whether you love him or you hate him like this isn't going to go anywhere and now that we've seen you know Kessler obviously his caddy and brother-in-law didn't help things by confronting a fan at the President's Cup that didn't help anything at all now people are going to try to get a rise out of him mm. so it's going to show a lot about Patrick Reed's maturity over the next six months, year, 18 months on how he's able to deal with it. What, what was interesting during the broadcast, as soon as the guy yelled cheater and you saw the play, at, at least the guy waited until he hit the ball. That, that's the one thing I'll give that guy out in the crowd is he didn't do it in his backswing. He waited till contact was made. I think it was Dan Hicks on the broadcast said that Padre looked up into the gallery at the fan. I yeah. don't think he did. I think he was looking at, at Kessler because he was immediately pointing at the ball, talking about the putt. So I don't even. I was talking to our colleague Julie Williams last night. Patrick Reed might not have even heard it. He was so locked in on the green there. I don't think there's no way he didn't hear it. But there's a good chance that he might have just completely missed that because he tends to block everything out on the course. He's when he is locked in like he was that entire round during the final round in the playoff. He is one of the most locked in players on tour when it comes to just focusing on on what's at hand. And you heard it in his post round press conference saying, "No, winning is everything. Winning is the most important." Getting to a playoff doesn't mean anything. It's all about getting the win. So I don't even know if he heard it. The fact that he didn't do anything to the crowd or address it, I, I think after the the blowback he got from the shovel motion he made at the President's Cup <laughs> is going to mean that we're going to see a much more reserved Patrick Reed in 2020. But it's going to say a lot about his maturity, the way he's going to be able to react to this. Because if we're like I said, if we're seeing this in Maui, it's not going anywhere. And is it too soon to start looking ahead to the Ryder Cup? Because God only knows 
what yeah. the European fans are going to be saying and what those guys are going to be saying to him out there. Well, it was interesting. I thought that Dan Hicks immediately picked up on it, but then Paul Azinger, who's in the same booth, and I'm assuming listening to the same channel in his headphones, didn't yeah. hear it, evidently. They How went back and they, they did the replay, and then then I heard it clear as day. Obviously, everybody else did. Dan Hicks hears it, but, but Azinger, maybe he was a little too locked in. He missed it. Now... I don't know how you missed that because yeah. it was completely dead silent there on oh, 18. Yeah. Everyone's waiting to see it. And then like that cheater just bellowed out throughout the, thing, the entire the thing. thing. That gets, the thing that gets me, Adam, is that he played brilliantly. Um, Patrick Reed, you know, being the sort of stats geek that I, he had three of the four days where he had over three as his strokes gained putting. He was number one in the field in putting. Yeah. Um, he was absolutely unbelievable with the flash. I don't stick. think he gets enough credit for that either. I think no, when we I talk think, about the best putters yeah. on tour, I think he gets forgotten about a lot because he's Patrick Reed. I don't think he gets enough credit for how good he truly is when his game is at its best. His his game on Sunday was fantastic. He was playing yeah. at a level that should have won a lot of golf tournaments and would have won a lot of golf tournaments. He had, you know, a, a, a messed up, messed up. He, he didn't play the final hole, especially the second shot, the third playoff hole, well, um, that second no. shot cost him. He came up short. The, yep. the the course was softer. Maybe it was because there was more dampness in the so- in the in the turf, and it was getting later, so the balls just weren't going to to bounce out the way that he thought. But he clearly came up shorter than he wanted to with the second shot. Didn't get the results that he wanted. Um, mm-hmm. I was curious to see how the reaction on social media when it came out after he loses and the cheater incident and such like that that. There was a narrative that started to play out that golf is better when there's a villain. When there's a bad guy to root against, golf becomes more interesting. Do you buy into that? Yes and no. I mean, I think there's. it's always fun to have the guy to root against. Frankly, yesterday I was openly rooting for Patrick Reed to win, you know, wearing all black on a Sunday just because I wanted to see what people were going to say after after that, I was just waiting for the anarchy for what was going to happen if Patrick Reed was able to pull that off, especially when, you know, they showed the clip of him kind of smirking when JT hit his ball into the into the stuff on 18 to the yep. left. It's, do I think it's is it good for the game? I don't know. I wouldn't necessarily say whether it's good or bad for the game if there's a villain or someone to root for. But it definitely makes, you know, rounds like that far more entertaining than than they would if there wasn't somebody to root against, because I think the PJ Tour likes to you know, praise all of these guys as they're, they're good guys. You know, they're not right. They're not controversial in any way. They want to avoid any sort of controversy. Whereas when you have a guy like Patrick Reed, who's got some skeletons in his closet and now what's happened, you know, in late 2019, early 2020 here, I think it definitely makes the game a lot more entertaining. And that's something that golf is going to need when Tiger Woods is inevitably gone. You know, you're going to need other things. You're going to need other storylines to root for other than oh, there's a lot of young talent. You're going to need something else to kind of push the needle. And having people that love and hate Patrick Reed, I think that's going to do a lot for the game. Hey, ever hear about the ex-football star who robbed a Brinks truck, then tucked $400,000 under his arm like a football and escaped using an inner tube? No? Then you'll want to listen to season one of The Sneak, a podcast by For the Win and USA Today Sports. Here, take a quick listen to the man who actually pulled that off. In 2008, a former D1 football star pulled off a robbery so daring and so strange that it went viral worldwide. It was a perfect crime story. There was just one problem. It wasn't the real story of what happened. I didn't just one day wake up and decide to rob an armored truck. There were smaller things that had happened. 
promise like myself, this is the last thing I was gonna do. The more like elaborate something is and the more moving parts, but that's more shit that can like go wrong. I made some crucial errors. Number one, I escaped on an inner tube. Number two, I hired decoys to help me pull off the robbery. Every single thing I wanted to do, I did. My transformation, I guess, as a person came at the worst time of my life. I pulled this off. I wasn't worried about money anymore, but I was more miserable than ever. No money can change, like, who somebody is as a person. I was busted by a homeless guy. The Sneak is a new, serialized true crime podcast from For the Win and USA Today Sports, streaming only on Wondery Plus. Subscribe at wondery.com slash plus. Yeah, I'd agree. I, I, I'm never, you know, something my, my son was really into wrestling a couple of years ago, and it was fun to sometimes root for the heel and root for the hero or whatever it was going to be. And I he's, never, he's the undertaker. Well, that would, I mean, let's, let's, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's <laughs> just stay over our skis before we get into that. That was, that was going to be Charlie's walk up. He decided if he makes the major leagues before his first at bat, he's going to lay down in the batter's box and <laughs> he wants it. his walk up music for his first at bat in the major leagues to be the theme song that they play for the undertaker. And then he's going to pop up and then go to bat and then probably get summarily beamed right in the head. Yeah. I was going to say if I'm, if I'm on the mound and he does that, he's getting one right between. The oh yeah. You, you, you got to buzz the tower on that one. There's no <laughs> way. And I've explained to him that, that that's not going to happen. But if he makes the major leagues, I won't care because I'll be getting a little percentage of that paycheck. Absolutely. Um, As you should be. The, yeah. The, 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 the dad tax on that should be rather high. So let's talk about the birdies of the week. The birdie of the week is something that we both liked or something that just sort of tickled our fancy that we saw this week. Give me a birdie of the week for, from, uh, from you. I thought mine was pretty, as soon as you mentioned it, I thought mine was pretty, was pretty easy as soon as I saw it on the broadcast. Uh, it was on the 18th uh, tee or on the 18th uh, hole in regulation when JT hits his wayward drive to the left and Xander had a, a two-putt birdie situation and then a potentially tournament-winning eagle putt awaiting him, the fact that he took the time to go look through the grass, help you know, try and help JT find his ball, I thought that showed a lot about who Xander is as a person, as a player, um, their relationship maybe – you know, they've become good friends from the Team USA stuff that they've done together. I thought it was really cool for Xander to sort of put his own – his own self aside to help JT look for his ball there because you never want to win a tournament that way. If that's how JT was going to lose that tournament, that would have been one of the most heartbreaking endings to what was a very exciting, you know, final stretch of golf. But for him to sort of take the time and do that, knowing what's on the line, $1.34 million was going to the winner, 500 FedEx cup points. That's a big deal. I mean, most guys probably would have let JT go stumble through the grass looking for his ball and gone and gotten their mind right. But it was really cool to see that kind of respect and camaraderie from Xander and JT there on the 18th. And especially after JT takes his drop and hits it stiff and hits it real close, Xander's watching him, gives him the thumbs up, JT waves back. I thought that was a really cool moment. So that's a good one. Um, plus, you also threw in FedEx Cup point reference there for the first time in 2020, so drink. Um, <laughs> my my birdie of the week is going to the course tweaking and modifications that were done at Kapalua to the plantation course. That is yep. a really unique property. Um, I remember playing that for the first time, not unfortunately in person, 
But on PGA Tour, Tiger Woods, I think it was, it might have been like 2007 or 2008. It was uh, it was a fun course to play as a video game, but it but it was such an odd place for the pros to play, especially the first tournament of every year. You're playing on the side of essentially a mountain or a volcano or whatever it is. It's a really unique property. I like the fact that it played longer. I loved um, that there were a couple of different holes given the wind conditions where there were drivable par fours. Guys could be aggressive. We saw in some cases Xander Shoffley going for the green and trying to drive on a short par four. Justin Thomas laying up, flipping a wedge in, yeah. making birdie. Um, there's a lot of different ways you can play that. But I think the the biggest improvement that was made, and a lot of it came because of the turf conditions as well as the wind, was making the 18th a true three-shot par five. There were a mm-hmm. couple of players, and Shoffley hit the green twice in two on Sunday. But that is an enormous golf hole. Traditionally, one of the places where you're going to see in the past a 400-yard drive. Some of the longest drives of the season were always going to be at the plantation course because of the enormous elevation changes in hills and if you get the wind on just the right day a guy who's usually hitting it 295 or 300 or 305 all of a sudden catches a speed slot with a 30 mile an hour wind going downhill and voila webb simpson hits one 410 um we didn't see that as much but but there were guys who were able to get there it made for a fantastic finish and what more could you really want than the huge risk reward which we saw potential for disasters but i get opportunities to hit heroic shots that could lead to to victory. And that's exactly what you want out of a finishing hole. So kudos to everybody involved with sprucing up and improving the plantation course at Kapalua. Um, so with the good also comes the bad. What is your penalty shot for the week? Penalty shot of the week is going to be John Rahm. Uh, didn't, it, it looked like his putter didn't even make the trip out to Hawaii, especially <laughs> for how lights out he's been for the, you know, for, for the, the majority of the last six months, the last year. It seemed like every time the broadcast cut to him, especially on Sunday, he was missing a putt that he normally would have made, and it looked like he he was just absolutely befuddled on the greens. It looked like he wasn't having like any fun at all. And then he has the little blow up there at the end. We all saw kind of you know throws his putter visibly upset. It seems like he still doesn't fully have a grasp on all of his emotions. And you would think that a guy who's won as much as he had has you know he's been the the European Tour Player of the Year last season you would think that you know he would by now have a grasp on his emotions kind of settle into that maturity and even like you I, you and i talking before this tournament great you know really for the most part doesn't mean that much it's a money grab it's sort of a you know praise be to everybody who yeah. won on 2019 it's a final celebration of earning a win on the pga tour in 2019 and the fact that he is still that worked up and that upset over and it wasn't even like he had a bad finish you know obviously he didn't play up to his standards and he missed a lot but it's not like he had an awful week he didn't finish in dead last some 32 strokes off the off the lead like martin trainer did you know he had a pretty decent week but the fact that he still can't rein in his emotions in a moment like that and he still has those blow-ups i mean people say he's going to be the next one you know who hasn't won a major to win a major it's little actions like that that I think that guys like Tommy Fleetwood and Xander Shoffley are gonna—they're gonna get there before he does because he still can't fully compose himself when he really needs to. Yeah, I think that if Ron wins a major, and I think that he's gonna win multiple majors before it's all said and done. There's just no eventually, den- yeah. yeah. There's no denying that level of talent, but I think that the recipe for him to win one in 2020 is to be a few shots back 
going into Sunday and then just have a great day and just run away with yeah. it. I don't think that he's a guy that is going to take a one-shot lead right now into the final round, go through grind mode the way that some players have been able to do it, and hold on to a one- or two-shot lead through 18 holes. I think it's going to be much better or easier for him being the player he is today um, mm-hmm. with the maturity level that still just needs work. I agree with you that he's he's going to have to go out and just have a great day, shoot 64, 65, starting two or three shots back, and no one can catch him. That I think and he is can doable. do that easily. Yeah, he can do that so easily. His game is so strong, top to bottom, that if he can just put it all together, he's in that he's in that debate of one of the top ten, maybe even top five players in the world when his game is truly at his best. Oh yeah, because he has he has everything from the power to the finesse. We just haven't seen that for four straight days at a major. And if if we're gonna see blowups like this in Maui, what he's gonna put it together at? He's gonna put it together at Augusta. He's gonna be able to do it in front of a New York crowd. I just I just don't see it yet. I think that over the if you if you get every player out there on the PGA Tour, European Tour, wherever you want, every player on the planet playing at their peak, John Rahm is maybe the second or third best player in the world. I, I think when everything is going well and his he's feeling confident, you can see the way he walks, the way he carries his shoulders. Mm-hmm. Um, he's I think got to be really really happy right now off the course. He's he's married, as you mentioned, coming off the European Tour Player of the Year. Everything is out in front of him, uh, yeah. and that's maybe one of the reasons why we're disappointed we harp on these little things because there's not much to harp on we expect big things from him and he certainly expects big things from himself i expect big things as i hand out my penalty shot of the week from this tournament and by and large it's a lot of fun i always look forward to watching this tournament from the basement where it's usually warm unlike outside here in connecticut where it's cold and <laughs> disgusting you're seeing the palm trees and sometimes you see the porpoises and the whales and the views it's great what you don't see are tigers and that's something that's always sort of bothered me I and mean, we, we we back at the beginning of tiger woods career he would play this event we remember in the early 2000s him coming out there and having great duels but my penalty is basically all the to the players who win the pga tour events yet opt to not compete at the Century Tournament of Champions. Um, it's been several different sponsors, whatever. This tournament's important. I think this tournament is a way for the PGA Tour to set everything up, and there were plenty of big-name players who did show up, which is great. But yeah. there are some players who just perennially always skip. Tigers made a habit of skipping. When he was was winning, Phil Mickelson would skip this event. Um, I get it. The pros are independent contractors. They can make up their own schedule. They're free to do that. And Hawaii is also, for a lot of guys, a long way away after Christmas and New Year's. The course can be kind of quirky. It's not your typical PGA Tour venue, and a lot of guys probably wouldn't love it. Yet, you're still going to get plenty of guys who will go over and kind of, in my mind, do the right thing. Ricky Fowler, for example, went over, um, and he played at Kapalua. He's not in the field this week at Sony. Neither is Justin Thomas. Um, neither is... Um, you know, pl- plenty of other, plenty of other guys. Dustin Johnson was the one that was right on the tip of my tongue there. But my point is, it's it's doing the PGA Tour, which has given you millions of dollars and it's giving you a great livelihood. It's just doing them a solid. And think about what what they're asking you to do. Hey, congratulations, you won last year. We'd love for you to play in a no cut, free money and world ranking points tournament in Hawaii. You're going to stay at a beautiful resort. There's going to be promotional things and all this stuff from your family, your caddies. Everyone gets treated like gold. I've never heard anybody go to Kapalua and not come back raving about it, whether they're players, writers who have gone there to rate the resort, 
people who have gone out there on vacation. Kapalua is amazing. People love this place. And yet you're not going to go. One of the things that I think that comes with winning and being successful on tour is the obligation to sort of pay it back to, in some degree to the yeah. tour. This is a really easy way to do it. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's just, it's one of those things. It's a pet peeve of mine. Some people put forward the argument that if they moved this tournament out of Hawaii and put it, for example, as the beginning of the West Coast swing somewhere in California, you know, at a location to be determined, that they would have a greater chance of getting everybody there. And that might be. But Hawaii deserves to have a couple of PGA Tour events. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, we're going to be talking in just a second about the Sony Open, which is going to take place in Honolulu. But this is a great event. Go and play it. Congratulations. It you're, 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 you won. You get to go play this. Go play it. So Exactly. And even even on top of that, seeing golf in primetime, like, that's why I also like having yeah. it in Hawaii, too, because very rarely do we get to see golf in primetime. Like, last night, it probably should have been over around 9 or 10 and ended up going way later than that because of the playoff. But it's really cool to be able to see, like you said, I'm sitting here in D.C. where it was bleak and dreary, rainy all day yesterday. And I'm looking out and I'm seeing the ocean. I'm seeing volcanoes. And it was really cool to be able to just sit back on a Sunday night and watch that. But my one question to you about this kind of keeping with guys aren't going and should it, should it be moved from Hawaii? Do you think it it should be moved? Maybe have a – I know I saw some stuff on Twitter about this. A Monday finish with you know the NFL playoffs and stuff going on. Obviously, a lot of eyes are taken off of this tournament when they probably would be watching if it wasn't for the fact that it was Wild Card Weekend for the NFL. Should they think about moving it in the schedule or making it a Monday finish? What are your, what's your take on that? I don't really buy into the Monday finish thing because, at least at our house, Monday is chaotic. Monday is the day that we're getting <laughs> back to work. Monday is the day yeah. that it, at this time of year, um, all right, my kids went back to school on Thursday, January 2nd. So if this tournament Oof. were finishing tonight... Um, I am not in front of a television at the earliest I'm in front of a television is probably eight 30 or nine o'clock tonight between running around with after school stuff, dinner on the table, trying to like get everybody together for at least 45 minutes as a family tonight, getting all that stuff done. Then dad gets a chance to sit down and watch some golf on TV. Yeah. That's going to go over really well at seven (laughs) o'clock on a Monday night. That is not happening. Um, I guess, I guess that's things you don't think about as a single guy. Well, but but I think that the people have talked about Monday finishes, not because that doesn't go up against other stuff, but I don't know how much golf or how much sports people are watching. That's, that's going to happen on Monday nights. I realize the NBA is going on and maybe early in the season when there, now that there's not P you know, NFL Monday night football is not part of the equation, but I don't know that the the ratings are that much better. If you really enjoy golf, then you're going to watch it on Sunday afternoon and Sunday evening. Like that's, that's part of our ritual. If you really enjoy golf, do you then have the tournament start on Friday and finish on Monday? And then what does that do to the whole schedule? Like if this event, for example, finishes on Monday, in this particular case, it's not so bad because they're going just a few miles. They're going to hop out a puddle jumper and end up in Honolulu going from the Big Island. So that's not bad. What happens when you finish on a Monday and are you going to change the schedule throughout the whole year or through, like through, through everything so that if guys are finishing on Monday in Phoenix and the next tournament is in Florida, do you change everything? Like To me, it's, it's not yeah. something that's necessary. It's tempting for certain events, but the logistics get in the way, and I don't know yeah. that you get more viewership. I would much rather see, and I'm a big proponent of trying to have more events where we get PGA Tour and LPGA Tour players together at the same yes. time playing the same course. If yes, we had yes, yes. 30 men and 30 women 
It doesn't even have to be a mixed event. You can have them playing off separate tees doing two simultaneous tournaments. Um, to me, that would be just as interesting, if not much more. Um, coming from a tennis background, when you go to the U.S. Open Tennis Championship, you get the men playing alongside the women. They're using the same court, the same ball. Like, all that stuff's the same. There are more tees at Kapalua. There's just, it's just, just one set of tees. <laughs> so you could set up everything however you wanted to set it up. I would much rather see LPGA Tour players playing alongside PGA Tour players more often than I would like to see a Monday finish. So what we do get, though, is starting this week, the pros are going over, as I said, to Wildlife Country Club. It's on Honolulu. Patrick Reed will be there. Hideki Matsuyama is going to be there. Matt Kuchar is the defending champion. Would you rather play, you know, t- talking a lot about these courses, would you rather play a big, hilly resort course that's crazy unique, like Kapalua's plantation course, or would you rather play Wildlife Country Club Honolulu, which is flat, traditional, classic, old school, but you still get the ocean views. Which which one was is more alluring to you? To me, it'd be the the more non traditional. You know, it, I've played obviously not as much golf as these guys have, but I've played a, a fair amount at a bunch of different places, and the ones that stick out are the ones that are the non traditional, are the ones that are different, the, the the courses that have you know something else added to it. So I think I would much rather do somewhere like Kapalua where you get the same views, the same everything, but there's just, there's just that little something extra to it. It's not like a normal, a normal trek around an 18 hole course. Not that YLA is anything normal out there. It's an incredible track, but I think I would much rather do something that's a little more unique because I, especially for these guys too, if I'm, if I'm a player, that's a, that's a touring pro who's played just about everywhere they've ever wanted to. I think that the more, non-traditional spot would be somewhere I would want to go because you've played all these other normal flat courses like that before. I would think they would want a different challenge, but like you said earlier with your penalty shot of the week, I guess that's not really the case for a lot of these guys. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. I think that honestly that I would probably take Wiley, um, just because to me both courses have tremendous views. The palm trees, the ambiance would be great. Um, I think that if I were playing just one round, I mean, we're, we're really splitting hairs at this point. Yeah. Wiley to me is just is just an amazing looking track. I love um, obviously the W with the palm trees is, is pretty iconic and everybody's going to be yeah. inundating Instagram and Twitter and snap with, with pictures of the W palm trees and all that kind of stuff. To me, it's, it's great. Um, it's, it's a unique track. You get all the views, but I really just love the way that golf course sets up. I'm not a huge fan of the last hole 18, which is a par four. It's got a hard dog leg to the left and invariably guys either try and hit over the corner with driver and go through the fairway and into the rough on the right and box themselves out. Or they lay up with three wood and try and turn something over. And sometimes it works out well and sometimes it doesn't. So I think if I just had to, to pick one of the two, I would probably pick Wileye, even though I like the 18th hole at Kapalua better. Um, good stuff. You really hey, can't go wrong with either one, no. though. And that's, and, and that's the beauty of a debate like that. I mean, if you're going to make me pick a course to go play in Hawaii between those two, you know. Yeah, exactly. You could you could do a lot worse. Let's just put it this way. It's not Meatloaf Mountain National like you've got out uh, out my way. So listen, <laughs> good talking with you. Happy New Year. I'm glad you were able to get out of Ohio in one piece, get yourself back home, get back to practicing. I'm, like I said, I'm looking forward to vicariously my golf career going, extending on through you. Um, good stuff, Adam Water. Thanks a lot. Appreciate you having me on.